Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 357, the five-year rules for Roth withdrawals. Does that five-year clock start with every Roth conversion? Plus, a Social Security Medicare IRMA retirement spitball, a self-employed retirement savings and tax planning spitball, and Delaware statutory trusts, security-based loans, charitable remainder trusts, and other charitable giving strategies explained. Also, will your portfolio grow faster with the help of a financial advisor? And if you've got a smoking hot wife eight years your junior and you want to retire on the same day at ages 70 and 62, are there other financial considerations or are you just bragging? I'm producer Andy Last and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. Let's see. We got, um, hi Joe and Big Al, I just discovered your podcast and it's very informative. I have a question for you about Roth conversion. Okay. 66, retired in 2021. I have about $2 million in tax deferred IRAs, 401ks, and $50,000 in a Roth IRA. Also, I have about uh, $190 after tax cash reserves that I'm planning to use to supplement my Social Security benefits to cover my living expenses until age 72. Beginning 2022, I'll start Roth conversions of about $100,000 each to keep within the Medicare IRMA limit uh, in the 24% tax bracket. So Irma, God, we got some like just we do. They're on top of it. I mean, gift of life, people. (laughs) (laughs) What does that stand for? I I know it's Medicare, but what what does that stand for? Um, Income related monthly adjustment amount. Yes, I R M A A. Yeah, adjustment amount. Adjustment amount. Because what happens when you have too much income? Yeah, right. They're going to increase your your Medicare premium. Yeah, and it's a two year look back. So if you have more income this year, in two years from now, your Medicare premium is going to be higher. <sighs> Super smart people. Um, then I'll take the minimum required minimum distributions from the tax deferred assets. Okay, I get your plan. Yep. So she's going to defer her retirement account. She's going to live off of cash. She's going to do Roth conversions. Yep. Um, and then she's going to take RMDs at seventy two. Perfect. Like it. All right. So I started Medicare Part B and Social Security benefits of May. Um, I'm single and I am on widow spousal benefits until age 70 when I'll take my larger benefits. I was planning on converting the annual $100,000 from my traditional IRAs and putting in $75,000 to the Roth IRA so the brokerage house can remit my estimated taxes of $25,000 to the IRS. The rationale is that I don't want to spend my cash reserves when I'll need it to live off of until I'm age 72. It's my understanding that the five-year rule still applies for each Roth conversion. Is that correct? I know you don't advise people to contribute net of tax to Roth, but if I pay taxes out of my living expenses fund, I'll need to withdraw money from my Roth and then pay taxes on their earnings. What's wrong with my thinking? Thanks. You guys are great. Donna. Um, all right, Donna, very, very good job. Uh, very, she, she gets her facts straight. I yep. like what she's doing. She's got a really well thought out strategy and plan. Um, and is there anything wrong with her thinking? There's nothing wrong, but I would do it a little differently. Okay. Here's what I would do, Donna. I would actually put the whole hundred thousand dollars into the Roth 
and uh, and then pay the tax out of your um, 190,000 cash. And eventually when that ran out, then do less conversion, then, do less conversion then. but if you front load it, you're going to get more in the Roth sooner and have that much more tax-free growth. So don't take the money out of the Roth when you have to do extra distributions, right? So convert, I agree with you a thousand percent, do the full hundred thousand or, um, you know, up to your Irma limit that you feel comfortable with. Right. But I would also suggest that she's single. She's got $2 million. Um, I'm not sure what her social security is going to be, but she's switching to a larger benefit at age 70 than age 72. Um, if she's not going to get married, you know, the top of you know, the 22%, uh, let's see, tax bracket is what? $40,000. You're in the 22 as a single taxpayer, yeah. 86,000. Go, go to the top of the 24. 24 is 164. Yep. Her RMD and social security could be 164. Could be. Yep. Right. So you might want to convert to the top of the 24% tax bracket and mm -hmm. get all of that money out and put it into a Roth. And then you're going to spend down the, 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 the cash reserves anyway. Right. Right. It's not like you're running out of money. Yeah. You got, plenty, you got of money. plenty of cash. Right. But it's just going to be taxable. And so instead of converting to the top of the 24% tax bracket or whatever number that you figure out or whatever Irma limit that you want to go to, Right, you're just going to convert less and take more out of the retirement account to live off. Yeah, when when you're done with your other cash, when the cash is so. Gone. So another way to say this is that if you go over the Irma limit, yes, you're going to pay more in Medicare um, ex expenses for Medicare insurance. However, just consider that an extra tax, and if it still makes sense, then go ahead and do it. Right. Yeah, you just add in the added um, cost to to what the tax is, and and see if it makes still makes sense. And I believe it probably would for her. Probably, given that she's got so much money in the in the regular, the the two million dollars in tax deferred. Right. So she's got a good problem to have here. Great problem. And I like her way of thinking. But if she would fine tune this just a little bit, she might be tripping. And no offense to Donna here, but I think people do this sometimes: is that they might trip over, uh, what's that saying? Trip over dollars to pick up quarters. Other way around. Or, trip over. No, no I think it's trick, trip over dollars to pick up pennies. Oh, yeah. You're, you're right. No, it's pennies, but you're I right. said quarters because it's, <laughs> I, I don't want to be that rude. I already get enough heat mail. Um, You've never got any, have you? Yeah, the Ninja Joe. Well, I should retire. Real life Ninja, yes. So, with this whole Irma thing, yeah, is that I'm going to pay a little bit extra in Medicare premium. So, I don't, I want to be very right. careful of that. But then they're going to end up paying a lot more in tax on the distributions so, of yeah, their RMD. Said another way, so you pay a little bit more Medicare and, and premiums to get to save a lot more tax later. Yes, potentially. So you, you just have to run the numbers, yep. and I, I think she's looking at it right, but fine tune this thing, and then she might make different decisions. Yes, I agree with that point too. Okay. Um, I have owned a Roth IRA for many years, therefore I'm able to withdraw tax free. Now that I'm retired and want to do Roth conversions, does the five-year clock start with each conversion I do um, after the year I converted? Bill from Carmel Valley. Well, I'm going to do the simple answer. Bill, if you're 59 and a half or older, it does not apply. Correct. But it's much more complicated if you're under 59 and a half. So the reason why the five-year clock exists on each conversion that is done, right, is that people used to convert monies from IRAs to Roth IRAs. And then the next year they would pull the money out and avoid the 10% penalty. Right. 
They paid their tax. It's in a Roth. It's after-tax dollars. You always have access to the after-tax dollars in a Roth IRA. It's FIFO tax treatment. So it was a workaround that people could say, all right, well, I converted this. I paid the tax. Now I'm going to take the money out and avoid the 10% early withdrawal penalty. Yeah, I bet you some did it same day. I'm sure they did. Yep. <laughs> same. Minute, oh, look at same, that. I avoided the penalty. Same transaction. Yeah, right. Convert. Uh, then uh, let's withdraw. And send me the money. And then spend. <laughs> So, um, here's the, so they, they, they came, you know, any type of issue like this, they, they catch on after a few yeah, years right? and they were like, you know what, now more. So if you do a conversion and if you're under the age of 59 and a half, because the 10% penalty only applies to those that are under 10 or under 59 and a half. So if you do a conversion under 59 and a half, you have to wait five years or 59 and a half, basically, whichever is later, to get access to the principal of those dollars tax-free. Whichever sooner, right? Whichever sooner. You said later. Whichever sooner. Okay. So if you're doing a conversion after 59 and a half, the five-year clock doesn't apply Unless you don't have any other Roth IRAs, oh because the other five-year <laughs> clock will come into play. So there we go. So, this is where it gets complicated. <laughs> because there's a five-year clock to get access to the tax-free money. And so, A, there's rules that need to apply for it to be a qualified distribution tax-free. And one of those rules is that there's a seasoning. The money needs to be in a Roth IRA for five years until for that money to come out tax-free and you have to be over the age of 59 and a half right however <laughs> you can take money from a Roth IRA under the age of 59 and a half tax-free if you take your principal out yeah and and skip the earnings and skip the earnings you're yeah. saying I'm not taking the earnings I'm going to just take my principal because it's four-tiered in the damn Roth as, IRA of as, how the money comes out and how it's taxed as long as it's five years after the conversion or, or you can do contribution next day. Right, because here's how it works. It's four tiers. It's the first thing that comes out is <laughs> contributions and then conversions and then earnings on contributions and then earnings on conversions. But then it depends on your age, right? So then they look, I mean, it's, I mean, is this complicated so, so or what? I, I, let me simplify. So, so Bill, if you're 59 and a half, you don't have to worry about the five-year clock on each conversion. You do have to still wait five years from your first Roth to pull out the earnings. So if you don't have a Roth IRA and you just started doing a conversion, then you have to wait. But Bill, he says, I've been having Roth for years. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So yeah, I think you're good, Bill, as, as long as you're over 59 and a half. Yeah. So that's that, that's a key factor. I just wanted to share my knowledge. I just wanted to show off my five-year clock knowledge. And I, I should you... mention the fact that we actually do have a white paper on the topic so that you can actually have a physical copy of the rules in front of you so that you don't have to try and make sense of everything that Joe and Al oh. just said. That doesn't make any sense. It's way too complicated. <laughs> All right. Download that guide and sharpen your knowledge on the rules for withdrawing from your Roth in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Listen to YMYW episodes 255 and 265, both on that five-year Roth clock, and download our free guide dedicated to the five-year rules for Roth IRA withdrawals. It's an in-depth breakdown on how and when you can pull money out of your Roth IRA based on whether you're over or under age 59 and a half. 
Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and download the five-year rules for Roth withdrawals. For more in-depth, personalized help, click the big green Get an Assessment button at the top of the page and schedule a free financial assessment. Stress test your portfolio, find out where you might be able to save more on taxes, and get a plan tailored to your specific risk tolerance, goals, and circumstances. Do it all at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Good buddy, Batman writes in hello to andy the angel uh big l and mighty joe young i hope all is well with each of you and your families i must begin by thanking each of you for consistently presenting such an entertaining intelligent and extremely informative podcast i have no pets as my schedule does not permit it i have no limerick for you though i would <laughs> prefer you to jack napier refer who wait Re- you refer said, you said prefer oh Prefer re- refer refer you to uh, refer you to Jack Napier and or Edward Nigma for that. Okay, we better get right on that. Is that like a Batman reference? That's. <laughs> I'm not really even sure. Um, Edward Nigma isn't that the the Riddler? I don't know. I believe it is. Um, uh, you know what? I think you may be right. Yes. Enigma. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Um, I still drive the 67 Batmobile. I have four subjects that I would like information on. I hope you're able to go over them at some length, as I believe many of your listeners will benefit from the information. The first is Delaware Statutory Trusts. Do you like them as a solid option in which to do a 1031 exchange? If so, any particular company, companies you would recommend. Also, if someone 1031s into a DST, which are in multiple states, does the owner have to file a tax return in each of those respective states? Naturally, I'm omitting the states with no income tax. Okay, so let's unravel this. Yeah, so a, a Delaware statutory trust. So that's uh, that's kind of like the old tenant in common under with a new wrapper. So the old tenant in common, this was 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. They, um, it, it was a decent concept, which was instead of buying one property, you buy a small interest in an entity that owns lots of properties, so you spread your risk. The problem with the tenant commons, and I think with some of the Delaware statutory trusts, is the cost, the internal cost. And so, basically, what you're doing is you're no longer managing the property yourselves. But so like, let's but, back up a little bit but, here too, though, because what a 1031 exchange? I mean, most people don't even know what that is. So let's say you have a, a property that is appreciated quite a bit. You you don't want to sell it to pay the tax. So there's multiple ways that you can avoid the tax or reduce the tax. Sure. And one of them is to defer the gain of that property to do a like-kind exchange. Yeah, that, that's right. And so you can buy another property, similar property. You can buy two or three properties, or you could buy into an entity that has several properties. Yeah, that's a, that's a good frame. So a DST or Delaware Statutory Trust was something easy that instead of finding a property, right, getting a realtor or going out there and saying, hey, I have this commercial building or apartment building or um, even a rental house, that I have to find a like property right. that I can exchange into. So it has to be, you know, you have to identify the property in so many days and you got to close in so many days. So there's there's time limits for people to do this 1031 exchange. Right. And they can identify a few different properties and if it blows up and then they have to pay the tax or you know or they can do a reverse exchange. It gets fairly complicated. Right. So they could go and do a tenant in common, which you were just referencing, yes. which is now you are investing in a pool with a lot of other investors. Sure. 
a Delaware statutory trust came about a DST that made it a little bit more convenient. You couldn't find a, a like property. You wanted more cash flow. You didn't want to manage the property. So you would exchange into this Delaware statutory trust that was more of a diversified basket of real hard assets. Yeah. So, yeah. So to just find point the differences. So, so a, a tenant in common was actually one, generally one property that you own a small a piece of interest in Delaware statutory trust. It, it would be a trust that owns several properties. So you get more diversification. I'm, I'm fine with the concept. Here's what I'm not as excited about is one, you give up management responsibilities. So you have no way to improve the, the cash flow or the value of the property. You also have no say in when it gets sold and all these types of things. You lose control. You lose control. And, and to me, maybe even the most important thing is they tend to have pretty high internal fees. So in other words, you're not getting 100% of the cash flow that you would otherwise get. You, you have to give them their cut. And it makes sense, right? Because they're managing, they're finding the properties, they're managing, they're, they're fixing them up, all that sort of stuff. What happened in the Great Recession, I'm not saying it's going to happen again, but it sure did back then. The properties went down in value so much, and the debt was greater than could be serviced by the tenants. And a lot of these were lost in foreclosure. And so people that put money into tenant commons, some, not all, some lost everything, right? Because they, they, they got nothing back from it because it went back to the bank and it paid off the, the mortgage on that property. So, but when you look at these kinds of things, well, I think one of your questions, a couple of big questions is, do you like the investments in there? Number one, do you, would you rather have apartments, residential, which tend to be a little bit safer? Would you rather do commercial, which can be a little bit greater return, but maybe not, not as safe? That, that's number one. Number two is what's the cost structure? What, what, what are the, um, the general partners? What are they getting out of this? And I had a third one that I totally forgot. I'll think of it in a second. Well, I mean, I think we're, we're not going to give you any recommendations no. on you know, what Delaware statutory trust. It's like a mutual fund in a sense. I mean, in, in real simple forms, it's not a buy this mutual fund. I mean, yeah. if, if you have a hard asset that you're trying to avoid taxes and you want to do a 1031 exchange and you want to lose control and you want to have free cash flow um, and, and not necessarily deal with the hassles, I think they're they're great investments. Yeah, uh, but it, it it it's not appropriate for everyone. You, you you just have to do your due diligence, just like with any other investment that you choose. Yeah, and it's kind of like um, even with tenant commons or anything like that. Look at the properties carefully. Are these properties that you want to own? Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. So so treat it as if it were your own investment. As far as taxes. Uh, yes, if they have properties in several states, you're going to be doing filing tax returns in several different states. So just be aware of that. All right. Uh, second question. He's got security-based loans. I wonder if you wouldn't mind expanding on exactly what they are, how they work, potential negatives, and some positives. What do you got? I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I think a, I think a security-based loan is is similar but maybe not this exact same as a margin loan i'm i, I don't know that that's that's I, I actually did take a look at that and i'm not an expert at it but but it's it's another way to get cash from your brokerage to use for other purposes besides like buying more stock and things like you're that. you're just pledging your assets for a you loan are. at a pretty lower rate you are you are and and of course i believe I'm not, don't quote me on this. I believe it's got the same risk that a margin loan has, which if, is if the stock market goes down low enough, you get a call on the loan, you have to pay the loan and you're, you don't have enough value in your stock. So just be careful. 
the third is charitable remainder trust. Again, please, <laughs> all caps, <laughs> expand what they are, how they work, the pros and cons of this product. Also, do you like them better or worse than a 1031 into a Delaware statutory trust? All caps. I understand each circumstance is unique. Perhaps you could explain where one would be more beneficial than the other. All right. A charitable remainder trust is not a product. Correct. Um, it is a trust. <laughs> yeah. It's a trust that you hire an attorney to set up. Yes. You're in control. What you do, what, what, what the pros and cons of a charitable remainder trust, um, or what we, we call them as a tax exempt trust as well, is that, so you have this property. So hypothetical, um, Batman is selling the Batcave, right? right? So he bought it for $100,000. It's worth a million dollars. And he's got $900,000 of gain. He doesn't want to pay the tax. He wants to sell it, but he doesn't want to pay the tax. He doesn't want to pay the tax because he's cheap. And he doesn't want to do a 1031 exchange because he doesn't want any more property. So he's like, okay, I could do this Delaware statutory trust. And then I could get some cash flow from that. That's fine. I avoid the tax. All $1 million goes into the DST. Right. So you avoid the tax and you defer the tax to a later date once you sell onto the DST. Or he could put the money into a charitable remainder trust. So basically the trust then sells the property because it's a charitable remainder trust. It's a tax exempt entity and there's no tax due on the sale of the property. So the whole million dollars is, is there and available. It's sitting in trust. Yeah. Right. And then you can diversify. You can buy stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Then that's when you get into the product. The trust itself is not a product. It's an entity. And then you put the property in, you sell the property, then you purchase product. You could buy CDs, cash, mutual funds, ETFs, individual right. stocks, anything that you want, and you can have a globally diversified portfolio. From there, you can take income from the trust, but you have to set up what that income looks like prior to setting up the trust. So you could say, hey, I want a certain percentage that comes out, um, or I want to have a remainder that goes to a qualifying charity at my passing or at my wife's passing or at a certain time frame. So charitable and remainder trust, all that means is that the remainder balance of that trust will go to a qualifying charity at your passing. So you can utilize the trust as you're alive. You can create cash flow. You avoid the capital gains tax on that asset. You get higher cash flow. You're taking principal back. That is going to be taxed basically on how the investment is taxed. So it could be capital gains, could be ordinary income. Um, you're also going to pay the capital gains tax throughout the distribution. Right. Um, so there's pros and cons to each. Yeah. And so so here's typically what we see from clients that we talk to. They, they want to do an optimizing charitable remainder trust, which means they want maximum cash flow to them and minimum to charity. And minimum to charity means 10%. So 10% of a million dollars, the plan would be $100,000 would go to charity at your passing plus inflation. So it's a little different number, but you get the idea. So 900,000 of value comes out to you over your lifetime and charity gets 10,000 that or 100,000. That's what makes this tax exempt. And, and so if, and if it generally it's through your lifetime, or if you have a spouse, it's, it's second joint life. And if you guys single or married, if you live a long life, you'll win. If you die a week later from a car accident, well, you lost because whatever's in the trust when you die goes to charity. Right. So where we see this effective is, first of all, people that have highly appreciated real estate or highly appreciated stock, they want to sell, but they don't want to pay the tax. They'd like to get a cash flow. 
maybe they don't have beneficiaries. They don't really care. We have some clients that don't have kids. It's they don't really care that much. Or if you do have beneficiaries, we still see some clients, uh, if they really want the kids to get some of the assets, they, they buy a, a, a term life, life insurance policy to help cover that in, in, in event they pass away early. So pros and cons to each. Another quick thing, uh, and you, you might have mentioned this, but I wasn't listening. Um, <laughs> if, if, if Batman puts the million-dollar property in, sells it, um, and optimizes it, he gets a $100,000 tax deduction in the year that it goes into the yeah, trust. I did not mention that. Good, good point. So, And if you want a higher tax deduction, then you don't optimize. You get a lower payout. And that payout is calculated before the trust is set up based upon your age. It's actuarial calculation. And the, the, the design is that if you lived a normal life expectancy, you will get 90% back. That's that's the idea. Or, or whatever percentage you decide to give to charity. So I think that's pretty good detail for that. So, yeah. Okay. How about rich uh first off you guys are great love the banter and your show is very informative i have a sd self-directed oh got these guys with their acronyms <laughs> i got an sd that's good i'm r 401 k i'm thinking san diego Roth. i know <laughs> i thought too at first san diego <laughs> so you got a Roth 401k in you, san diego san diego that's important input i have an sd roth 401k that i max with additional nd mega backdoor roth <laughs> Non-deductible. Non-deductible. Even <laughs> I knew that one. Uh, we got San Diego, North Dakota. I'll back in back door. <laughs> or Roth. South Dakota That's and North right. Dakota. I, I did the four went the Roth in South Dakota, did the other one in North, in North, in North Dakota. Dakota. Uh, okay. So uh, we're just, I'm just reading how, how this guy's writing here, folks. Yeah. Uh, first right. off, you guys are great. I wanted to say that again. Yeah. I love the banter in your show. It's very informative. I have a SD Roth 401k that I max with additional ND mega backdoor Roth. This last year, I added a defined benefit plan, BC. <laughs> My side hustle made a lot of money. I expect to make three or four X this amount for the next two years. I read about adding a non-qualified deferred compensation plan to my to mitigate taxes. Can I do this? If so, what steps do I need to take to do this? Do I need a custodian to handle this? I read that I could do a SERP as I am the CEO and have no employees. Also, I plan on selling this business and looking for ways to shield capital gains. Besides investing the capital gains into an opportunity zone fund, are there any ways to mitigate the taxes? IRS rules say I cannot put the company shares into my Roth. Uh, can Delaware, uh, Delaware Statutory Trust be utilized? Thank you for your replies. And I drive a 2015 Jeep and I have no debt. Wow, he's throwing out a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's right. got Delaware statutory trusts. He's got SERPs. He's got, he's a got lot the there. So uh, these are a little bit older plans. Um, all right, so he's got the solo 401k. Yep. And he's doing after-tax contributions as the employer and the employee. So sure. he's maxing that out to 54 to some odd thousand dollars. And he's converting the non-deductible contributions into the Roth. Yep. And um, and then he's, he's making uh, the 401k contribution as well as Roth. So he's got this side hustle and he's thinking about, Hey, can I do something else? Is there anything else that I can do? He can set up a, a, a DB plan. Um, so that's a defined benefit plan that he could shelter more dollars in pre-tax. And if he sells the business, uh, he's going opportunity zones. <laughs> uh, he's already maxing out a 401k plan. He's doing after-tax contributions with the mega door, a mega backdoor or Megatron uh, Roth. 
And now, because he's got this little side hustle, he's going to make three or four times this money in the next couple of years. Right. So he's thinking about, all right, well, where can I shelter some of this money? Yeah, I don't want to pay all the tax. I don't want to pay on the that, tax. That's a very fair question. So the only question, I mean, there's a few questions that I have is that he already has a, a, a solo 401k plan. Does he, does he have two side hustles? Yeah. You know what I mean? Is like, yeah. does he have one company that's doing X and then he's got another company that's doing Y? I, I'm not clear on that either, but I guess, I mean, whether he has one or two, maybe it doesn't matter because they're, they're, they're probably solo. Like, or, right. I guess. So he, he can't necessarily, if, if let's say I have three different companies, I can't set up three. I mean, I guess I can set up three 401ks, but I can't max all three of them out. Correct. And, and, and when you have, when you, when it's similar ownership, it's treated as one company. So you kind of have to look at it as one company. If there's in fact, more than one company you can do a, a you know, you can do a, a 401k, you can do a, a, a SEP IRA, you can do a defined benefit plan. You know, those are the types of things that are available Defined benefit plan. You can actually put a lot away, but you have to commit to making a similar contribution for at least five years, at least five years, you know, probably longer. A deferred compensation plan does not work in a solo business. And what they are is where an employee says to the employer, I want you to withhold some of my salary so I don't have to pay taxes on it. So then the company doesn't have to pay that salary. The company has higher profits. It pays taxes on those higher profits, but you don't. Now, if it's your own company, you're going to pay taxes on those profits. So I've never seen, and, and I, I don't, can't think of any reason why you'd have a, def, a deferred compensation plan in a solo owned business. Unless it's one of those, um, I remember those plans back in the day, the, um, the, 412 eyes, whatever. Yes, yeah. the 412 I funded with life insurance. Did they get outlawed? The, um, well, I'm sure someone's out there selling them. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you know, so there's, you know, when the yeah, 412 eyes and there's another one, 419 plans or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, there are some of these plans that come about. Um, there's the, the, the people target, you know, self employed individuals that make high income to shelter taxes. Um, I would be very, very careful with those types of plans. Um, some of them work, some of them don't. Some of them um, are pretty gray with the letter of the law. Some of them are right on. Um, so I would be careful. You know, we like to keep things somewhat simple, right? We're pretty conservative in regards to our tax strategies. Um, so there are some other types of plans that we have seen come across our desk in you know the um, several years that we've been doing this. Um, but we would not necessarily recommend those. So, um, when you're thinking about selling your business, what do you think? Should they go in an opportunity zone? No, unless you want that as an investment. I mean, basically the opportunity zone defers taxes for a couple of years, a few years. Right. And, and then you've got to pay all those taxes, even though you still have the asset, it's not like a 1031 exchange where it defers it until you sell. Now you do get any future increase in that opportunity zone asset is potentially tax-free as long as you own it for long enough. No, I'm not a big fan of those. I, I think it was a, a, an interesting idea that came out and I think people did well to guide into it early. Now, many opportunity zones are so overpriced because of this, of, of this tax benefit that I'm not sure the investments are that great. That's my 
perception. I, sure. could, I could be totally wrong, but, but no, I would not do that. Because an opportunity zone is that you're investing in an area that has an opportunity for growth, right? You're, you're, it's, you're trying to make a, an area better, right? You're, you're putting investment into an area of a city or, or something that can grow it and, and make it make it better yes i was going to say another <laughs> word but i think i'm just going to keep it like that um but right a lot of money is flown you know got into these investments and yeah, i mean I, I i personally i heard like three years three four years ago that it's it may be too late because these areas are much higher priced now i wouldn't do that but a couple thoughts is if you do sell a business capital gains not that bad and if you really want to save money, move your business to Nevada or Texas or a state that doesn't have any income tax and then sell it and you only pay federal tax. That's, um, that's pretty aggressive. Uh, as long as you move. <laughs> Don't fake it. <laughs> I mean, you really got to want it. Yeah. And, and plus. You're, you're moving. And this is not move six months, sell it and come back. This is. Oh, really? Do you know anyone that's done that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Generally doesn't work. <laughs> no, this is a five or 10 year. Uh, plan it, uh, five years at least, but that that's one way to go. If it's um, if it's a um, S corporation or an LLC, well, not an S corporation, that doesn't work. But if it's an LLC, you could potentially put that into a charitable remainder trust. Uh, S corporation uh, charitable trust is a prohibited uh, owner, so you cannot do that. But an LLC, uh, you can. So that would be another way to set up a charitable remainder trust. And you sell the business, pay no tax, and get a cash flow for life. So that could be something. So, Rich, congratulations. Um, it, it sounds like you're doing a hell of a job. Um, your side hustle is killing it. You're making a lot of money. Yeah. So very good there. And you're looking at other ways to save money, um, which is great. You, you know what? Just probably talk to a, a, a really good tax accountant you know, in your area to, to look at you know, things that are above board. If, I wouldn't necessarily go to an insurance agent. Um, if someone's if giving you what, what the plan is, yeah, well, what yeah. the tax strategy should be. So, yeah, and, and I would say, unfortunately, a lot of CPAs aren't really even aware of these strategies that we even just brought up. Tis the season to give and get back. Learn more about charitable remainder trusts and many other ways to maximize the deduction you get for your charitable donations. Download our charitable giving guide from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to learn when to give, how to bunch your donations, and for more details on gifting appreciated property, qualified charitable distributions, charitable gift annuities, and the limitations on charitable deductions. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to go to the show notes and download these steps on informed donating for free. Go to yourmoneywealth.com. Click on Ask Joe and L on the air, and we will answer them uh, right here. It might take us a month, and laws will change, <laughs> uh, but we will get to them as soon as we possibly can. And, and when we read the answer, by the time you hear it, the law may have changed, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so just be careful. Yeah, this is for inter, um, entertaining and uh, purposes only. In fact, these days, when I look up the new tax proposal, I make sure it's only a week old or sooner because it's changing that quickly. Right. Uh, Evan writes into us. He goes, hey, my company has a match for donating. I'd like to take the standard deduction of $12,500. If I donate $150 and my company matches $150, can I donate $150 and write off $300? Yeah, which is the $150 work. of my donation as well as the $150 of my company match. 
So he's, he wants to take a little credit for the company's yeah, uh, donation. Because it was because of him that they, they got the donation. Doesn't uh, the company get to write that off? Of course. Evan, sorry. It doesn't work that way. And this is true of all taxation, which is whatever you spend, that's your write-off. You don't get like a phantom write-off. That's the way tax basis rules. I'm not going to go into any of that because who cares? But but it's the easy rule to think of is if you spend $150 in a donation, that's your deduction. Right. The, the company actually gets a $150 deduction. For giving it to the charity as well. That, that's right, because that was their money. Yeah, they're not writing. The company's not writing a $150 check to Evan. The, the only way you would get to write off the whole 300 is if the company paid you an extra 150 personally right. that went through your salary. So that gives you tax basis to write off the 300. Uh, but the company's giving the money directly to the charity and they're writing it out. Of course. Yeah. So I, I, I like the idea, but no, that, that doesn't work at all. So a couple other things, um, charity wise, pe- people think, Hey, you know, I, I gave my kid 10,000 bucks. Yeah. That's a write off. <laughs> can, right? can I write that off? Well, it is for you, but not for the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> It, yeah. it, it is the season for gifting, yes. um, but yeah, the old Christmas gifts, you can't, um, you can't itemize yeah. your Christmas gifts to, no, the, no, to no. the kids. Yeah. And, and you can give away $15,000 a year to each kid. And if you're married, you're, you and your spouse can do 15,000. So that's 30,000. And if you're, child, but there's no tax write off. There. No, there's no tax write off. You, you just avoid the gift tax. Yeah, that's right. If your child is married, then you can each give to the couple 30,000 each. So 60,000 would be your, your max in that example. Yeah. There's no tax write off. What that does is that, that it doesn't count as gift taxes. So it doesn't reduce your estate tax exemption when you pass away. That's the only reason we have that $15,000 rule, but it's not, a, it's not a tax deduction. Good try, Evan. I like the question. Um, yeah. but unfortunately cannot write it off. I have an hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was supposed to be a dollar sign. Hashtag. All right. 870,000. 870,000. I have an hashtag $870,000. Oh, now here I go again, making fun of people. Oh yeah. That's, that's typical. <laughs> well, I'm, Real I'm, life ninja is going to be on your ass now. Come on. No, I'm just reading what people write to us. But then um, you make fun of them. No, well, <laughs> It's like, come on, proofread here. Uh, stock portfolio. Should I hire a financial advisor to help it help me grow it faster? Okay. Hashtag 870. Uh, I don't know. And, and the actual question was hire a financial advisor to help help make it grow faster. So uh, the hashtag 870. The hashtag 870. There's a lot of things a financial advisor can grow faster. Um, well, I do don't think? know about hashtag and 870. <laughs> Um, well, what kind of investment is it? I don't know. No, I mean, you're not going to find, do not hire a financial advisor to make your money grow faster, right? That's if, if someone is selling you that, Hey, I'm a really good financial advisor can, and I'm going to make your money grow faster. I can pick the right stuff. Come on. Hashtag, hashtag <laughs> faster. Um, no, you're not doing that. You need a financial advisor to map out your overall financial life to take a look at. All right, here, you know what? What are my goals? When do I want to retire? What is my tax situation? What is my other income sources? What do I have kids? Is there college? Is there debt? Is there yeah, whatever? And they will help you not get too over anxious when the market goes down, and they will kind of try to put on the brakes if the market goes up too fast because we want to buy when it's high and sell low which is not a good recipe. Right, you're not, it's not faster. It's slower. It should be boring. Investments should be boring. Um, so no, uh, you know, congratulations for having hashtag 870. 
that's pretty that's pretty impressive um and then he's got parentheses mutual fund um so (laughs) dear big alan joe i'm married to a smoking hot woman eight years younger than me she's smart kind and talented did i mention she's smoking hot who's this guy well i would say congrats lucky <laughs> I, I like he's just coming right coming coming blazing what it, well that's that's much better than saying the wife uh, yeah just for you guys out there all right or the old lady even worse yeah <laughs> smoking hot all right i would like us to retire on the same day well this guy's in love <laughs> I mean, she's just wants to spend every moment, every, with this every second. Woman. Oh, with this, you know, they do a survey for for men and women, right? Um, when people are about to retire, and they'll yes. like they ask women, they're like, "Okay, well, what's you know, top five things? What do you want to do when you retire?" Right? And then right. it's like, "Well, I want to take up this hobby. I want to travel. I want to do this, whatever." Right. And then they ask the the husband or the male, "What do you want to do?" And then like uh, number one is always, "I want to spend more time with my wife." Yeah, they don't have three, two, three, four, or five. <laughs> that's it's like play golf once a week yeah and the wife is like wait a minute Um, spend more time with my husband is like i didn't even make make the top 25 (laughs) get the hell out of here you're bothering me so just fyi i want to retire on the same day on the same second as my wife because i love her and then i mentioned she's smoking hot and i'm so much older than her Oh, when I'm 70 and she's 62, she plans to take her pension at 65 and Social Security at 67. Okay, other than planning for three years of health care until Medicare is available, are there any other financial issues I should consider? Sincerely, Lucky in Rochester. All right, so he's, he's going to, he, he wants to retire on the same day to a smoking half wife that's 62 and he's 70. Yeah. Okay, so he wants to take, she's going to take a pension at 65 and Social Security at 67. So I, I'm not sure what any other, I mean, yeah, there's hundreds of other planning. <laughs> we, just, we don't have any details. We just, uh, oh, the details we have is you got to smoke in hot white. <laughs> and when you get to retire? I need a financial plan. All right, give me some information. My wife is smoking hot. <laughs> And I'm 10 years older than her. Okay. Get go. some insurance, Lucky. Go. Spitball it. Spitball it. Come on. Give me your best. Here's my best. Spend more time with your smoking hot wife. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do have one thing, which is this. If, if she doesn't need the money at age 67 for Social Security, wait till 70 because it's 8% increase each year. But that's that's all we have to work with. That, that, that's, that's it. Oh, you are lucky. Um, <laughs> He doesn't even have to think about finances. He's focused on it. Yeah, that's it. Retire on the same day and just love your smoking hot wife. Right. And, you know, everything, everything works out. Everything works out. What's more important than that? <laughs> Batman, Joe's attitude reform and judgment about drinking choices in the derails at the end of the episode. So stick around. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click that Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888 994 6257 to schedule your free financial assessment at a time and date convenient for you, no matter where you are in the country. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies
strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Good buddy Batman writes in. Does he go to every single event that we hold? I believe he does. Yeah, I think that is the case. Yeah, and he still has questions. Although I'll have to say, I, we had a webinar just uh, today that we recorded, and and I did not see him. So apparently he was in the Batmobile, fighting crime, taking yeah, care yeah, of business, taking care of the criminals. That's good. All right, <laughs> I already get enough heat mail. Um, You've never got any, have you? Yeah, the Ninja Joe. Well, I should retire. Real life Ninja, yes. Why? Yeah, hang this stuff up. Doesn't provide much value to the show. Yeah, it's yeah. a miserable person. All I do is make fun of people. <laughs> But you work on that. <laughs> wow, that one has really stuck with you, hasn't it? Yes, it's uh, I'm, I'm so butterfly wings. Changed so your it, life. I'm very sensitive. The, the moral... Every time I walk down this, you know, street or in the hall in the office, I, I look him in the eye and say hello. <laughs> you look very nice today. <laughs> so the moral of the story is: don't insult Joe. He well, remembers for years. Uh, he didn't insult. He just kind of just laid the truth out. I, and then I had to come to Jesus with myself. <laughs> it was tough. Huh? I, I don't want to run into Ninja Joe or whatever his name is. <laughs> Uh, this is now my go-to relaxation activity instead of having a cold fat tire amber ale would have thought wow okay yeah. so that's healthy choices listening to your money your well oh my god i used to drink fat tire and i got very fat tire around <laughs> my belly you did now uh, <laughs> uh, that's why you stick to the coors latte coors latte my friend um and then now i'm you know what i'm doing too is i'm going with uh and I hate to admit this, especially on air, but um, little, oh, little, little, little seltzers, little seltzer waters. Oh, you are? Okay. Little, 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 um, I'm not a big fan of the White Claw, but because um, okay. I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I drink that stuff. <laughs> but isn't isn't like, White Claw hard cider or something? Yes, yeah, seltzer water. It's a little, yeah. It's still cider. alcoholic. Why, why are you embarrassed to men mention that? Okay, if you see someone... If, if, <laughs> <laughs> pouring down a white claw i don't know i'm just looking okay. at that person i'm gonna it's have like, some judgment i'm sorry that's it, just it, that's it, just me remember the old days ninja wait uh, it reminds me of I'm, I'm having a wine spritzer yeah it's like bartles and jeans <laughs> what was that remember bartles bartles the wine coolers yes. wine coolers i mean right you're gonna or hey. You know, you go to a bar with the fellas, right? And then everyone's having, you know, a, a, a paper plane, <laughs> tequila on the rocks, yeah. right? And we're, someone's getting, you know, my buddy here's Greg is getting a fat tire. And then I'm like, can I get a little Chardonnay spritzer, please? <laughs> right? Yeah, that's uh, enough. You can say that you're up. taking it to your date at your table. They don't have yes. to know it's yours. So now I'm drinking these little, um, you know. Yeah, but he orders two of them. <laughs> yeah, okay. But um, it's locale, gluten-free, you know? Buddy of mine's like, yeah, I'm on a diet. I'm going to try these. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to try them too. Yeah. I'll oh, and you like them? Well, yeah, they're not yeah. kind of tasty. Yeah, I got it. But then I look, it's the same with calories. Like, of course, light. Yeah, so, might as well have that. Yeah, I know. Now, <laughs> but uh, on the golf course, I'd like to play in the morning. And sometimes, you know, if you crack a beer at 9 a.m., people kind of look at you funny. Yeah, so. They're not a white cloth. Do, do, yeah, do a little <laughs> spritzer, you're okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's just seven up. Don't mind me. <laughs> very little judgment. 